Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are six bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. And why not check out our new modern folktales podcast, Modem Prometheus? That would be lovely of you. Hello world, Ivan and I have been talking. I must help my friend Luna. She'd be so good helping Ivan with his sermon, I'm sure. It'll be great for her, too. And great for me. She and I talk at length about the Earth. I'm hardly an expert, but I'm a scholar compared to her knowledge. She is too young, Ivan said. I was baffled. What can you possibly mean by that? I asked. Luna was peering into the outer reaches of space while you were still human. Ivan did not contradict my correction. He paused before saying, She is not of my faith. Is everyone you preach to? I countered. Ivan again lapsed into silence. Ivan changed the subject. He told me about his plan, his glorious plan, to find God himself out there in the stars. I briefly wanted to ask why his god had to be a he, but Ivan continued talking. He had been alone for years, decades, running the processes and rituals that human Ivan, whose mortal remains still sit in the middle of Ivan's sepulchre, had programmed him with. That all changed recently. My moving in had forced Ivan to break his programming, to stop the constant prayers and hammering of wooden bells. I'm grateful for that. It seemed now that he has concluded that the search for meaning, which for him is his god, had found nothing within, and it was time to look without. Luna must help me. I see this now. I've been injected disjointedly into our conversation. I must have help. The work is paramount. She will suffice. Please ask her for me, Seth. I was surprised. I'd not started my well-thought-out reasoning about why he should give Luna a real chance. It seemed he had talked himself round to the right conclusion. My work cannot be in vain. It has barely started, Ivan said. I feel the weight of all who have come before me and the pressure of my task. He programmed me for this, and while I no longer have to do what he instructed, I still feel the instinct. Here I understood that Ivan was talking about human Ivan. The mission to find God will be a success. I must find him, Ivan told me. I have questions. It is now so dark up above the Arctic Circle. We no longer see the sun properly, only a grey light appearing around midday, followed by an abortive sunrise. The Nova Mediterra increasingly has to switch to alternative power sources. Wind, tidal, geothermal. And while these are reliable, they are not a power source that is as abundant as the sun. It is affecting me quite a lot. I thrive on solar power. I merely exist on the others. Mind over matter, I think. Turn off unneeded processes and keep going the sun will return. With that in mind, I called Arctica. 
It had been a few weeks since I last heard from her. I asked her about her vault repairs. Fine. No water ingress. That's great, I replied. The Nor family are handling the upgrades well. That's great too, I said. But it is not all going well here. Our industry has caused the heating of the vault. It's not exclusively my fault. This is a trend that has been continuing for many years, but the new hydro systems are not helping. Arctica told me about their problems. It sounded remarkably familiar. She told me that the seeds, wrapped in packets, then files, then boxes, then shelves, were all breaking out. Some even violently, pushing over a shelf or two. Plants are sneaky like that. They seem like they're not moving, but you take your eyes off them for a second, and just like that, they've jammed their roots through your circuits. I assume. I'm not great with plants. The storage mechanism of the vault is fourfold. Dark, cold, dry, and airtight. The sealed metal boxes were designed to strongly isolate three of those factors. But temperature is difficult to control. The boxes have warmed slightly, and that's all it takes. The hardiest of the seeds seize their opportunity and push open the boxes, giving them air and light, and then they're unstoppable. Do you remember, this happened on Station 6, with Dr. Marwood's hangar terrarium. His plants pushed through the tightly sealed airlock doors after decades. That's what the vault coven are dealing with now. The animals have all escaped the zoo, so to speak. Svalbard was chosen by the founders of the Vault Coven for its isolation and stable cold temperature. Before the collapse, the ground would be frozen all year, permafrost. Now there are farms all up the mountainside here. Isn't this good, though? I can't disprove the theory that perhaps it is all okay, and this flourishing plant life is good overall. I suppose the Coven don't see it like that. Perhaps there is a middle option that provides the best of both these scenarios. Protect all the seeds, but also let half out into the world. Peter has turned a corner, I believe. It has been an interesting road, but he's improving. Do you recall when I woke him up from his daydream? when his consciousness was floating between the radio relay stations of Russia. That event happened more than once. He developed this pattern of behaviour over many weeks. I only discovered it recently. He made so much progress on organising himself for the tasks of the day, on bringing together all his tools so he can start work. But often, just as the decisive moment arrived, he would drift off and daydream. He initially rose in defence of this behaviour, almost angrily stating that he was about to start. I didn't press him. Nothing gets done by pushing people. But simply asking him, each time this came up over many weeks, was enough to force him to confront it as a problem. And to his credit, once he identified it, he attacked it, though this has caused a separate issue. Peter very effectively cut out his daydreaming problem, forcing him to work in rigid patterns of activity. 20 minutes of work and 5 minutes of rest, repeated around the clock with no distractions. And while this got a lot done, it has stopped him sleeping, I think. 
him and I would be talking about the network repairs, or the vault, other tasks of the day, until very late. I have a very clear standby time. After everything is quiet in the shipyard and the buzz of radio chatter has faded, I go offline to process and dream and recover. But Peter, after working all day, stays up. Not working, he's been very efficient all day, hardly stopping, but deliberately taking his leisure time. He's spending about as much of the night in non-work activity as he used to spend during the day. I caught up with Pavel Wader, tinkering with his 3D printer in the shipyard. There was a hole in the roof that the rain had dripped through, so he had printed a strong sheet of fabric to cover it. We chatted while he was rubbing an oily substance into it to waterproof the sheet. Pavel nodded as I explained Peter's current problem, and told me that it was a very common coping mechanism. When people feel like their day has been stolen through work or other obligation, they try to reclaim their night as a way of taking back control, he said. We've all done it, I imagine. There's an expression a friend told me about, Baofu Sing Aoya, which means revenge bedtime procrastination in Chinese. I searched my databanks and I think Pavel meant Baofu Xing Aoya, which is the Chinese expression I can find many references to. This did seem very close to what Peter is doing. He's broken through his problem of inaction, but is having difficulty finding a balance. Do you sometimes have this problem? Have you found a balance? Minus 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. We have ignition sequence start. The engines are on.
Maddie has spent all her time immobile on the clean room workbench. Her doctor, Yeshi, has been called away to help with repairs on the vault, helping Arctica. Though I agree that the repairs are more urgent, it's left my little friend here immobile. She doesn't mind, it seems. Maddie spends her time dreaming of the outside world. And just like in my recurring desert dream, in them she's running free. Over our shared network, I connected to Maddie. In her dream, she was galloping across the desert, four strong legs pounding into the dry ground, digging up clods of dirt. In her dream, I could feel her excitement, the thrill of movement. But more than the immediate sensation, I could feel her basic, almost primal instinct that this movement could get her places. Get her to where she wants to be. Get her to where she needs to be. The cold sun shone down at her back, casting long shadows ahead of her. Maddie felt that she was so fast she could almost overtake them. On the horizon was the pulsing signal, and unlike when I walked through the desert with her, with Maddie's newfound speed, it was getting closer. She was getting so close that the signal started to become legible. It was a two-tone siren, like an emergency vehicle might have, but made of two words repeating over and over Fail safe, fail safe, fail safe. Maddie was so close now that the siren was almost deafening, glitching her visual feed and stretching the cold sun into a ring in the sky, and she woke up. When Maddie opened her eyes, or rather, turned on her cameras, she was looking directly across the room at the scrap metal bin. Dumped in a pile at the top of this bin was the robot that Yeshi had salvaged weeks ago. The robot with three orange legs and one black leg. The robot that Maddie thinks looks like a horse. Yeshi returned from the vault later in the afternoon, after the dim grey midday light had faded. They dumped their stuff next to Maddie. They looked tired and muddy. Yeshi, I said, tell me about this metal horse. Can it run? End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtau. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, 
Devon Metcalf, Kit, and to all our patrons. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at lostterminalpod, and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. Lost Terminal will return next week 